Welcome to the Single Parent Podcast. Whether you've been a single parent for a while now or have just started on your journey, the Single Parent Podcast is a safe place for single parents to get some great information and resources, hear the stories of fellow single parents, and connect with a strong and supportive community. We want to help you go from surviving to thriving. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Single Parent Podcast. Uh, We're so glad you guys joined us today. Today, we have a great resource episode for you guys. Uh, Christina, if you could introduce our lovely guest. Hey, everyone. I'm so excited to introduce Corellia from A Safe Society um, here in St. Albert. And I haven't met Corellia before, so I'm just as excited as all of you listeners to find out exactly what she does. And Corellia, maybe you could introduce yourself and let our listeners know what it is that you do with the Safe Society. Absolutely. So I'm my name is Corellia, and I'm a counselor with the Safe Society. Um, I work um, primarily with uh, adult and youth clients at the moment. And I generally see them for between one to 10 sessions. And um, generally it's support around, you know, individuals who have experienced uh, violence and or abuse and um, providing support around kind of whatever they come looking for. Um, And so that could be from, you know, doing safety, pieces with them, um, working on boundaries, you know, self-esteem, confidence, um, uh, you know, working on emotion, self-regulation. Um, so it kind of varies depending on the client and where they're, where they're coming from and what they're looking for. Um, so really meeting clients where they're at. And I also, um, aside from being a counselor, I also am a program coordinator for our New Directions program. I'm not sure if Irini spoke to that, um, but uh, what that provides. So um, that is a parent and child program that runs for 10 weeks. And um, we provide uh, dinner and then we run the group after that. And it's a psychoeducational group. So um, we cover different topics, you know, such as safety, boundaries, um, self-esteem, self-regulation. And so the parents will meet with uh, a group themselves and then the children will be in their own uh, age cohort groups Um, so they're able to connect with other supports and learn about different topics and um, the first part uh, the family kind of has some little bit of bonding time it's nice to kind of have a meal before jumping into group Um, that saves saves them some time Um, so with the with the programming that you do mm -hmm. offer I know that Mm -hmm. it's um, you know, safe stands stands for stop stop abuse in in families. Do you also do work individually with people, or is it just you focus on the family situation? Yeah, so we do focus mainly on um, we we do mainly individual support. We don't offer family counseling at the moment, um, but we do offer individual counseling. So um, it it can vary depending on where the individual is wanting to focus. So sometimes, you know, if it's a parent coming in and they're wanting um, strategies to help support what their children are going through, we can definitely do that. Um, If it's they're wanting to do individual work um, 
around, you know, the abuse and or violence they've experienced. And we can do that as well. It, it really depends on where um, people are at, where they're, where they're coming from when they come in for, for counseling. And what, what are some things, um, and for those, I'm just going to circle back um, that when, uh, when Karelia mentioned Arini, we've actually had um, Arini on the podcast previously, and she, she talked a bit overarching about what safe society does and their involvement in the in the community there so um in in talking to you today um with your experience as a counselor you're kind of on the front lines of of this and um with with stopping abuse what what's the definition of abuse and what are what are some forms of abuse that that you see Yeah, so there's different kinds of abuse that individuals um, will experience. So um, it can be physical, right? So physical abuse is anything from hitting, you know, hitting, um, biting, kicking, you know, any, any of that kind of gamut of of physical abuse um, can range from mild to severe, right? where, you know, severe is more like, you know, we had instances of strangulation or, you know, like attempts to kill or, um, so there, it can be it mild to, to severe. Um, and then we have, you know, emotional abuse, which can, it has, it's more wide ranging. So emotional abuse can be anything from, you know, um, verbal insults, putting put downs. Um, <clears throat> and then you have like, um, you know, psychological abuse, which can be anything from like manipulation to, um, you know, attempts to control, um, oftentimes power and control is your overarching themes a lot of times with abuse. So, um, you'll tend to see a lot of themes around, um, power and abuse, try attempts to control, um, and then verbal abuse, verbal abuse will fall underneath typically emotional abuse. Um, again, yeah. And so any, any instance where, um, an individual is, is trying to, you know, um, put down, undermine, um, manipulate, um, try to control, um, there's, there's other forms of abuse. So there's financial abuse where sometimes perpetrators will, um, you know, withhold, um, finances, um, not, not allow the other, a person to have any access to finances, sometimes limited finances, even for basic, um, <clears throat> basic means, provisions, you know, groceries, um, transportation. And so that can tie into, you know, preventing individuals from leaving certain situations. Um, and then <clears throat> you're looking at um, other other forms of abuse, like, you know, sometimes um, perpetrators will try to use children against the other partner. So they will have them, you know, ask questions, gain information, you know, manipulate. Um, and so a lot of that, again, is also emotional abuse towards, you know, the children, but is targeted at the the, the partner, the ex-partner. Sometimes I, I wonder if the word abuse gets overused mm. it, it, a bit too much in terms of, and I'm not... <sighs> when when we talk about abuse right mm-hmm. there's is there an intentional 
method of doing that or can somebody exhibit this kind of behavior and not be aware that what they are doing is abuse because there's been a few situations I know with people that I've talked to and even in my own situations you kind of feel like it is but you also don't want to overuse it so where where does it cross the line between abuse and maybe an explosion of emotion or are the two connected I think it, yeah, I mean, it depends on the instance for sure. Um, it, it, that's a really difficult question because, it, it, I mean, when you talk about intention, like somebody can be <clears throat> abusive towards somebody else without intentionally wanting to behave that way. So sometimes, you know, it is abuse and that person isn't aware that they are behaving in that way. But definitely the patterns, you know, seeing it over time will will tell you the um the intensity and degree of the abuse that is um happening like if it's repeatedly happening right then that that indicates kind of the intensity and level of abuse that is occurring and oftentimes you will see that like oftentimes with the the clients i work with that you will see it happen repeatedly over time um not to say that you know somebody who says that they're they have experienced abuse it's not to say they haven't um, right it really depends on on the situation and and you know our our approach is to really take clients where they're at and what they what they say right so um yeah it, it's tricky in those situations um I mean there is a difference between abuse and you know having conflict in a relationship or having a disagreement right where you know those there's, there's a mutual um, kind of uh, working together towards improving on how you're communicating to one another, right? Um, whereas abuse tends to be one way. And again, like I talked about the elements of the power and control underlying, right? So there's in, in situations where there is, um, there is abuse occurring and not to say that there isn't in others, but typically there will be um, elements of power and control underlying that, that abuse. Okay. Yeah, no, that's, that's perfect. Cause that's, I liked, I liked what you said there. Cause I, I think you brought it around to the difference between conflict and abuse. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's where my question was gearing towards because we, there's going to be conflict in relationships. I don't know many relationships that don't. I think I know maybe 100% one, right? (laughs) Like it's very rare that you don't have conflict of some kind. So in terms of, of dealing with conflict, what are some healthy and unhealthy ways of dealing with it? Um, well, I mean, the biggest one that I always recommend to individuals whenever there's conflict is um, check into your own emotional state. Um, Cause oftentimes when you're in the middle of conflict, you can't access your frontal lobe, right? So you're flooded with emotion and your brain is kind of like, going back to reptilian brain where it's like fight or flight or freeze and um, and oftentimes saying things that you don't want to say. And so usually the best thing in any time that there's conflict or any time things are kind of getting a little bit heated is to take a time out and kind of go, okay, let's just take, you know, a few minutes away, let our brains calm and come back to the situation so we can be better um able to to communicate with each other because there really isn't communication during conflict it just it's not a thing (laughs) 
Absolutely. So if someone is going to see you um, at the Safe Society, what are some things that they can expect? Because I think a lot of the time when we're talking about people who are dealing with abuse, like kids or adults, um, there's this block in their soul that's like scared to even voice anything that's going on because of repercussions of what could happen by their perpetrator. So... What does that look like? Well, we definitely go over, I think confidentiality is a big piece in counseling, right? So we keep what you share confidential. Of course, there is limitation. So, I mean, the one place that people might become a little bit um, concerned is that there is a possibility for records to be subpoenaed, right, by the courts. So that's a place where I just, I say, you know, if this is something that you are concerned about, if you're in the middle of legal proceedings and you are concerned about, you know, your file be con- being subpoenaed, let's just be conscious of what what goes down in your record, right? So just writing minimal, minimal notes. Um, and so sometimes that does help to reassure people that, you know, this is a safe space. We want it. We're here to advocate for you. We want to make sure that, you know, if you are in legal proceedings and it is a possibility and, and, and we always hope that isn't going to happen, but it can happen, um, that you're able to, um, you know, share, but um, we want to make sure that you're protected as well. And so um, that can be a piece, And but, you know, but reassuring them that we can't just go and share information without a court subpoena to anybody without your permission, right? So we can't share to a third party without your consent. Um, and then, of course, there's, you know, limitations of, around safety and, you know, um, you know, those abuse and those pieces that we would have to report as well. But other than that, we just, you know, going through that and making sure clients understand that piece and then just creating a really warm and supportive and um, safe place for them to be able to um, share. Like we, our office door is locked. We keep our location private. Um we, you know, screen whoever comes in through our doors. Um, there's there's certain um, protective mechanisms that we put into place to help clients feel safer when they come here. Um, and then through the counseling process, it really is up to the client what they want to work on. Um, we don't work around, uh, we don't do work around trauma just because we have, like, it doesn't mean that we don't acknowledge it and hear it. Um, But in terms of trauma processing, that's not something that we do just because we're limited by 10 sessions. And so if that is something um, clients want to do, we will refer to um, another therapist, you know, after our time together. But primarily the work we do is around, you know, making, helping them feel more stable in their lives, stabilization. Um, Like I said before, you know, working around like any issues that they want to. So boundaries, boundaries. helping them with grounding tools, you know, helping them with if they if they need parenting strategies or support, we can do that as well. Um, safety planning is a big one we often do with clients. And then if they need help with resourcing or anything, we can do that as well. Um, I don't know if Farini talked about, but we also do um, phone consultations. So prior to setting up counseling with individuals and or if somebody just needs generalized support, um, we do offer phone consults as well, which is we found to be very helpful to clients and they're unlimited. So they can call and they'll get 15 minutes with a counselor. So we can do resourcing or anything like that without taking away from their counseling session. 
That's awesome. Um, something else that just popped into my mind is, do you at the Safe Society just help the community of St. Albert or is it YEG as well? Um, well, we don't provide counseling to Edmonton area um, just because they have their own services there as well. Um, and we, but we do um, provide, if, but they are able to come and access um, uh, group services and they are able to access phone consults. So yeah, it doesn't mean that they're not limited to that. And I, I actually had a question about uh, confidentiality because that's obviously a big a big thing yes. um, when when you do counseling because it is when you go to a counselor like you are sharing so much inner stuff that you know you want to make sure that that's that's kept confidential. Yes. What about in the case when? you are bringing a child into it. So right. how, how do you handle confidentiality with with that? Yeah, so the child is trickier because you, we do need um, dual care, parent consent. And that oftentimes is, it creates quite a barrier. So oftentimes um, perpetrator of abuse will um, be reluctant to provide consent. And so we, we run into barriers with that. We oftentimes are unable to offer that service um, because of that. Um, in terms of confidentiality, I'm sorry, I was more so addressing consent than confidentiality. <laughs> um, but confidentiality, um, if there is dual parent consent, then both parents do have access to the record, um, which is tricky. Um, and, and the same for youth clients. But we really try to advocate for the youth. Um, the children, we will involve the parent um, that has come for the service a little bit more because we want them to um, be able to um, implement the strategies at home that we work together on. So we will oftentimes, you know, um, keep them updated kind of on on those themes and, and the progress. And if there's dual parents involved, then we'll do that with both parents. Um, yeah, so I mean, it's trickier with, with children, um, but we do try to really advocate on behalf of them and especially youth to say, you know, um, if you, if you're, if you will just allow the process to happen and, and promote that for them, you'll, they'll, they'll receive more benefit then if you're asking them about what did you talk about, what was your session like, um, we oftentimes encourage parents not to do that <laughs> just because it can place a lot of pressure on the children and youth um, to right. share and to disclose when it's such a private um, piece, right? So it's mm -hmm. same, the same as you, right? Would you want somebody to say like right after your session, what did you talk about? What did you do? And so we really try to advocate <laughs> for parents to be respectful and mindful right. of like, the therapist client relationship that it's really hard to build that and to develop trust if there's um, constantly questions and and it, it and I get it you know parents want to know what their children are doing and and what they're talking about but it's it's much more helpful if you um, respect that process and um, you can still be curious and give them the opportunity to share but you know um, we. I, I try to advocate on too. 
<laughs> no, that's that's awesome because that that is a tricky thing because I have brought my kids to counseling and that was something that as a parent I struggled with because I want to help my kids. Yeah. But I know and and it was difficult to kind of relinquish that piece and and realize, you know what, they need a safe space to mm-hmm. to share and and that. So in in your work with adults, do you do you deal with so where where is your threshold for adult is it 18 and older is kind of yes. the group the age group that you work with yes 18 okay so with with that then do you find that um there, there's more of a not a pattern but do you find there's a certain age group that you're seeing more of now it really varies like i have clients you know in their young 20s all the way up to um 50s 60s like really the, the demographics range and it varies like I, I wouldn't say there's like a primarily one age group right now that I'm seeing okay yeah it's quite a wide range the reason I asked is because when we did our episode with Arini she yeah. was mentioning like the younger age groups you're starting mm-hmm. to see more violence yeah. coming out of that now which was obviously concerning because there's yeah. you know there there's something going on with that so that was that was probably why I was I was asking oh, okay. if you were if you were seeing that because mm-hmm. um, I know for me like my my kid is you know my eldest is 11 yeah but you know if that's something that's prevalent like yeah. obviously that's concerning as a as a parent you know bringing yeah. your child up with that so do you find that there are certain correlations of of factors with that as to maybe why that would be um no that's a good question um and i mean i'm i i generally see adult clients so i'm a little bit more biased towards that um so she probably knows more um demographics agency wide than me (laughs) that's fair Um, but you're just curious about in terms of like why there's this increase of of incidents with younger kind of younger population yeah or? even even young adults or um and even just in general do you find that there are some you know some similar factors no matter what age you are yeah well I think it like definitely um isolation like being in remote communities we've seen that can be um an issue um I'm trying to think of what else I'm, nothing's coming to mind right now um around like you know factors around those pieces like I said I was just I was just curious because sometimes you know as as a counselor you might see some similar factors across cases right and obviously not to breach confidentiality but it's more of a more of a comment on society right like is there obviously with the pandemic happening people are together a lot more right now right and and you're forced to be together more than maybe maybe you should have so maybe that's a a different line of questioning here is since the pandemic started have you seen an increase in that and maybe is that a common factor lately for well we've off off, we we have seen clients mention that we have had clients mention that the pandemic has impacted their situation and kind of in terms of the intensity of the abuse they've experienced and so definitely I would say the pandemic has been a factor. And I think it the more the impacts happen around like preventing individuals from being able to leave those situations, I think. Um, finances, right? So 
definitely the pandemic has had an impact in that way as well on families being limited in terms of finances. Um, but one of the biggest factors, you know, I think in preventing individuals from leaving and or um, kind of the the duration of abuse that they experience has to do with a lot of a lot to do with the perpetrator around um, manipulation and power and control dynamics. So that's what I'll oftentimes see is um, is or here I should say is is hear clients talk about um, not being able to leave and or um, having you know experience a dura- that duration of like lengthy time of abuse is is the dynamics of power control manipulation. So what advice would you have for someone that's seeking to flee that kind of abuse when they're so terrified? Like, is there something that you think has been more successful in order for people to flee that type of abuse? Well, I think anytime that you can do any groundwork ahead of time, that's safe for you to do. So whether that is, you know, like if you can go out and get your own separate finances so get your own bank account and again I don't want to advocate for anybody to do anything that's going to put them at risk or you know make put them at jeopardy in any way but if it's safe for you to do it and you're able to do that um, um, you, you can connect with external agencies such as ours you know for support um, if that is safe for you to do that and we try to really promote safety in any way possible when clients make connections with us um, you know, along as far as like, are we able to leave you in a voicemail? Um, you know, is it safe for us to call? Is texting the only way that we can reach you? So we try to be creative in the ways that we provide support. Um, so doing groundwork by connecting with external agencies, um, getting information, finding out what type of supports you might need to be able to leave. If that's financial supports, you know, if you need to get connected with Alberta Works, you know, to um, receive um, some funding to be able to leave that situation. They do provide some funding for individuals that are trying to flee situations of domestic abuse. Um, and, and there's other legal resources, you know, so there's ECLC is great. Um, they will provide, um, some, uh, some support in terms of connecting you with a lawyer who can, um, give you advice for your situation. Um, so just just for our listeners, what does ECLC yeah. stand for? Edmonton Community Legal Center. Perfect. And what kinds what kinds of resources do they do they offer? Um, so they um, provide uh, a consultation with uh, clients with a, a lawyer, and so they have volunteer lawyers that will that you can get connected with if you if you can call them directly, um, or like with an agency like ours, we can put in a referral directly to them for you. And they will spend, I believe it's like a half an hour to an hour just providing suggestions on um, steps to take um, in their situation, whether that is around, you know, sometimes somebody needs advice around emergency protection order, or sometimes they need um, suggestions around like, what's my next step legally in terms of like um, child, a child custody, like putting those arrangements into place. So um, they're a great a great agency for somebody to reach out to, especially if they're just at the beginning and trying to get information. So are you in, in not just a providing uh, counseling services, if someone is experiencing abuse in, in whatever form it is, are they able to come to you and 
even just to get resources or to get a plan in place? Is that something that you guys help with? Absolutely. And even in the first few sessions, like one of the the biggest things that we touch on and try to um, talk about with clients is safety planning. So in our phone consultations, like our first contact with clients, when they call us and they, because um, that's a first contact is usually booking a phone consultation or with somebody, one of our clients or one of our counselors, sorry, um, we will um, go over safety planning even in that 15 minute phone call if necessary. I mean, they are limited. And so we, we might need to book another one, but we always want to make sure that clients have um have safety planning in place um, because it's such a important part of of their safety and if there's children involved children's safety as well absolutely are there um so with with safe society are you are you classified as a a non-profit like compete do people have to pay for the services or are there there free services that are offered we are a non-profit so our our services are free of charge that's awesome yeah, well, all our services are free. Yeah. And uh, we, we provide up to 10 counseling sessions. I would, you know, wish we could provide more, but um, that's kind of where we're capped at. And that's a quite a decent amount of counseling sessions, I think, for free. But um, oh, it is. Like if you think about employee <laughs> assistance programs through yeah. work, you might only get one to three. Um, and then even after that, benefits might only cover a couple anyway. So to get up to 10 free sessions, you can cover so much ground as someone who I go to counseling and in 10 sessions, I can, I can do a lot of that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No. So I think it's a great, you know, it's a great amount that we're able to provide and, and that we receive funding for. So sorry, Christina. Nope. You go ahead. I've been asking a lot of questions. You go for it. That's okay. My brain started working. Um, (laughs) So if someone, like if a client's needing, additional access to any help like maybe they finish their 10 sessions do you guys serve as sort of like a crossover to other options for them if they're still needing some support absolutely um so we have some places that we will typically refer to um in st albert and then um Yeah. And then if it's Edmonton, we have other, there are some different um, services in Edmonton and St. Albert that we will make sure, like help them get connected with. You mentioned the the group sessions, you know, that um, you you do service the St. Albert area, but you do have group classes that, you know, people from Edmonton and I'm guessing the greater Edmonton area can, can participate in. So tell, tell us a little bit about, about those programs and what, what that entails. Yeah, so we sometimes will, so the New Directions program, like individuals from any area can, in Alberta, can, or, or Edmonton area, I should say Alberta, Edmonton area can access those. Um, so that's a New Directions program. I spoke a little bit about that. And we will periodically throughout the year run different um, groups. And so uh, we'll run, like, we just, this last fall, we ran a support group. And so that will be, they're all primarily still psychoeducational based. So we'll learn and and or explore different topics. And so it depends on, it also depends on the group. Sometimes the group will bring forward uh, a topic and then we will kind of follow up with that the next, the next session, even though we had a theme, but um, so the support group, and then sometimes we'll have like, uh, we'll run a communication group. 
um, communication skills group. Um, the themes can vary, but um, communication and the support group, I think, are the two main ones. What are what are some of the themes that kind of come up? Do you see some common themes with with the groups that seem to be like either popular ones? I'm not sure if that's the right word for it, but just ones that people want to talk about a bit more. Yeah, a lot of times, a lot of the themes that come up like are around um, like manipulation. So gaslighting will came up a lot. Um, You know, what is gaslighting? (laughs) What is manipulation? And then oftentimes themes around um, when you have um, situations where custody is shared between the client and the perpetrator of abuse and so issues that come up around that piece and the challenges because oftentimes perpetrators will try to um, use children as I said before to attack client the client Um, and so themes like that typically come up quite a bit so what do I do with that how do I handle this you know how do I handle when my child's coming home dysregulated how do I handle, um, you know, communication with this individual? Um, how do I, you know, support my child in going to that visit? Um, so there's those are quite often common themes that come up quite a bit. And that that must be really hard to to deal with, you know, because I it, in the first little while after my my split, I found, just in general found it difficult to to interact with my ex, never mind the added component of, you know, that some people experience with abuse, where you literally have to engage with the person who abused you, you know, and generally in front of the kids, you know, you kind of put on your mask and your face, and that must also take an emotional toll for people. Absolutely, yeah, it can be very challenging um, in, in, in knowing how to navigate that. And, you know, you're, you're wanting to best support your, your child and children through that. And, and that's hard, you know, so and, and while, while trying to deal with your own dynamics, right? So your own issues um, that you're, you're experiencing as a result of the abuse. And so, yeah, it can be very tricky for, for, for clients to, to work through that piece. Do you find that you have your clients tend to be maybe single parents or do you see a lot of families who are together and they're trying to work through work through these issues because our 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 podcast is geared towards single parents but we do have listeners who aren't single parents so in in the cases that you see do they lean more one to the other well it does tend to be a lot of times um single parents so it does because that means it, it kind of is a little bit more fresh. It happened re- recently, but then you also have we also see people where it 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 is longstanding, and they are still dealing with this, and they're still dealing with legal issues from years and years ago, and so that's that's the unfortunate one that that oftentimes you know where it's they've been out of the relationship for a period of time, and they're still dealing with with these custody pieces and or dealing with. Um, dealing with the ex um and so but but more so we do tend to see more more there's a higher like higher amount of single parents that we see so with um with getting a plan like you mentioned you have you know you can help 
parents or um, you know people who are being abused kind of get out of their situation. You mentioned the financial part, like getting yeah. you know kind of some pre steps and do it safely. Mm-hmm. Are there things that they can do, kind of emotionally and mentally, to mm. protect themselves while they're trying to either fix the situation or extract themselves from it? Yeah. Well, that's where I will advocate for counseling. I think counseling is a very helpful and safe space to be able to um, talk about, you know, the situation, talk about the struggles and be able to to build some tools um, to help you become more resilient in dealing with the issue. And so, I mean, I always advocate for people to um, build, you know, their, their own self-awareness. Um, so, just being aware of what you're experiencing, what's going on for yourself, um, doing even little check-ins for your body. Um, what's going on in my body right now? What am I noticing? Um, what can I help? What can I do to help support my body in calming? Because oftentimes, like in dealing with these situations, people will go into um, what I call is a place of dysregulation. So you either become like hyper or hypo aroused, which is like hyper is way above your optimal zone of functioning. And so what happens is you'll say things you don't want to say, you'll just be maybe running around um, and and not obviously not your body's not in a calm state, can't really think straight, your minds, yeah, minds racing. And so anything you can do to help calm your body down, whether that is like, you know, sitting down, having a cup of tea, taking a deep breath, thinking of, you know, thinking of your favorite spot to go, right? Like safe space, Um, thinking like having a a familiar object in your hand, something that will help calm you down in that moment, Um, connecting with a loved one that will help you kind of calm calm yourself down. So that, just being mindful of that, anything that will bring you down and bring your body down into more of an optimal zone of functioning so that you can use your brain, your frontal lobe in in an effective way um, with whatever you're dealing with is always going to be helpful. And then often, and then sometimes people go into hypoarousal, which is underneath your optimal level of functioning. So that's where you're kind of like, maybe you want to sleep for days or you just don't want to do anything. You're under motivated. And so doing little things to pick yourself up out of that, whether that's like going for a walk, anything that will kind of spark your, um, your body to pick up out of that kind of um, uh, under arousal and to be, so you always want to think about being in your optimal zone of functioning. So So, that's some of the work that I will do with clients is, is um, helping them, just remind them of that and helping them find ways to come back into their optimal zone of functioning. Would you equate, because when you mentioned the two hyper and hypo, Mm -hmm. all I could think was anxiety and depression. Yeah. So would you, would you correlate the two together? Are those two, or is it, or are they kind of separate? They're not necessarily, like if you have a hyper reaction, it doesn't necessarily mean that you are dealing with anxiety. I mean, you can think of it that way as a concept. I mean, you know, it, it is, you, you can think of it as a correlation, but I mean, it doesn't necessarily mean if you, you know, everybody goes into these two states, right? So um, 
you know, weren't necessarily diagnosed with anxiety or depression, um, but you you can still everybody can still go into a state of hyperarousal where you're just dysregulated and you're like running around or saying something really mean or not thinking straight, right? And so I think to normalize and to say even if you don't have anxiety or depression, but you can think of it as like, yeah, I'm like under hypo is like kind of under motivated and hype and hyper is. I always think hyper. You're like, you know, you're kind of like. Um, <laughs> always, moms. We we know what hyper is. Yeah. I feel like right. <laughs> all yes. over the place. It's all, all over, over the place. place. Yes, all absolutely. Clear. There's no clarity. It's just like your brain can't function. Yeah, right. It's like an emotional, an emotional coaster. tornado. Yeah, mm-hmm. roller coaster tornado chaos. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Absolutely. I guess one question I do have is how do you know if there's listeners listening right now um how do you know if it's time to get out that's a really hard question because people will stay for lots of different reasons and we know that leaving a situation where there is domestic violence actually puts somebody at risk more so than staying oftentimes, right? Because we've seen the incidents of, you know, um, violence and or, you know, attempts to, to, to kill or end a life like increase when, when somebody leaves that situation. So you don't want to say to somebody, you know, um, you'll be safer, you'll be better off if you leave. Because the other thing is, is that oftentimes people are depending on finances, they're trying to do what's best for the children. Like there's so many situations where I think people stay for reasons that they believe are more important, right? And so that's a really hard question. <sighs> like, when do you know it's time to leave? I think I only think that like that, that individual will know. Um, but even if they even if they're contemplating or they don't know there's still supports that you can get right so we will meet people where they're at no matter where you're at you can access our services and we will be there to support you whether you're ready to leave or not um it's it's really just the most important thing is that you get support through what you're going through um and and then you know when it's time and you're ready to be able to take that step we're here for you as well I love that. I think that for anyone who's listening and dealing with those what ifs, I mean, it doesn't hurt to see what the resources are and to get options because a lot of the time they could just feel stuck. I mean, I think that's a really huge part of being in these awful relationships is feeling stuck and there's no other way so you know in order for me to make sure the kids are safe I'm just going to stay and endear it because I don't want them to have to go there alone and you know feel that abuse at least I can sort of supervise right so I mean and they just don't know what the resources are so at least if you look into it maybe there's a little glimmer of hope at the end of the tunnel right which is exciting to me because I'm thinking wow there could be so many other options that you don't know about um but if you just one simple phone call can really change your life right well I think that's really validating too like you know, mentioning that, you know, a lot of people feel might feel stuck. Yes. And that is true. You know, I think a lot of people might feel stuck because 
I did talk about this earlier a little bit about, you know, the themes of control and manipulation are oftentimes so strong in those in those situations where people do get stuck and feel stuck in those in those situations. And so I think, you know, even just saying that can be really validating for somebody, you know, uh, this is what you're facing and this is what you're experiencing and it's not minimal at all. Right. Oh, I have a question, actually. If you know someone who's maybe facing a situation such as this, what are some things you can say to them to maybe encourage them to find the resources? Because Mm -hmm. maybe they have a lot of blocking thoughts themselves about finding the help. But if you have a best friend or a friend or a a neighbor who's, you see something's going on, what, what can you do to make some changes and maybe what to say and what not to say because like it's so easy when you're not in the situation to say we'll just leave but it's not that easy right so yeah yeah, what what are some things like what christina said how can you best support somebody going through that well i would definitely say steer away from saying telling somebody to leave a situation um you do want to just come across as somebody who is there if you're it depends what type of support you're able to provide that individual um and it it depends the context you want to make sure that it's safe when you are talking to them so always asking for permission you know um you can say you know i've overheard this or i've noticed this is it okay that we talk about this or is it okay that I mention some things to you about this? So always say, ask for permission ahead of time because if that person says no, they say no. Right. And so that kind of helps you as a first step is asking for permission. And then, and then you can offer resources and you can say, you know, I know about this one, one place that you, that has been really good at, at providing support to people. If you want to reach out to that place, you know, and it depends what you're able, what kind of support you're able to provide, right? Like maybe you want to come to my house and make that phone call. We can make that phone call together if you want. Um, or I can just give you the information that I have. Or here's where you can find it, you know. And I'm here if you want to. Um, if you're, It depends what kind of supports you're able to offer. But like, you know, if you're able to be there as somebody who that person can come to or talk to, um, that also is very helpful. Just having that um emotional support from somebody in their in their community and their friend group and their family group um and i think it's, it's so important to to believe people when they do share things with it like like that they're going through yes. with you because 100%. i think there's so many instances where people are um undermined or um told that they're wrong or that they haven't this is not what they're experiencing and that happens from all unfortunately all different places in the system and so there's nothing more value like a value to just confirm what somebody is going through and validate that um and that and i think just never undermine the strength or the the impact that that can have on somebody just even validating what they've gone through I love that you said that. I actually got goosebumps and I sort of started tearing up because I just thought of a friend um, that went through something really difficult and she's like, no one believes me. And I'm like, I'm here and I believe you. And I just remember having like this heart to heart with this person and I just it broke my heart knowing that she thought that no one was in her corner. Um, And 
I mean, you can give all the resources you want, but that person needs to also want to see change themselves. And I mean, I love that though, because yeah, they need to be able to feel validated and heard because there's so much shame that comes with abuse and they're so stuck in this like spiral, right? Um, so yeah, I like that you said that. I think that's huge is just saying, you know, I hear you and I, I believe everything you're saying. I think that's probably like just, just in general. I know that when I was going through, through my split, even like y- you have, you know, your own perception of your experience. And when you're sharing that, just the validation, just in general, we, we all want to be validated and, you know, know that we're seen and heard and, and all the rest of it. And, um, yeah, not not just in this situation here. Like, I mean, especially in this situation here, you know, that validation is so important. But just just in general, you know, to have somebody say, I see you and I got you is like, I think we all we all want that on some level, right? We kind of gravitate towards people who who do that for us, who validate us. Um, where where can people find information on on safe society? Yep. So you can go to our website at www.stopabuse.ca. And we're also on different uh, social media platforms. So Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Perfect. Um, so just in, in closing, then what, what would you what message would you have for someone who is going through this right now and, and is feeling stuck? Yeah, uh, that there's there is supports out there for you, that you don't have to do this alone and that you know that that we are here for you you can find more great episodes featuring helpful information and amazing stories by searching single parent podcast on spotify apple podcasts or visit www.lifesongfilms.com and click podcast thanks for joining us today and remember we're we're all all in this together. together